Welcome to the Aquas Podcast. Conversations about regs, funds, and governance with your host, Daniel Lawler. Hi, and welcome along to the Equest podcast. Thanks very much for listening. It's great to have you along. In this episode of the Equest podcast, myself and Shannon are joined by Jennifer Cahill, who is the founding partner of Savvy Recruitment Consultants. And Savvy is a recruitment consulting firm that specializes on the financial services industry, trying to help them identify and recruit the best talent that they can. So I thought it'd be great to have Jen along for a podcast because in this time where there's so much uncertainty, I thought it would be really interesting to understand how firms are viewing not just recruitment, but also management of staff and staff who are transitioning from one role to another or one firm to another. So how are firms going about doing that at the moment? What's the good practices and what are the bad practices, which unfortunately we have seen a bit of? In addition to chatting about recruitment from a firm's perspective, we're also very interested in how individuals view this, uh, whether individuals are likely to proceed to move at this time or whether they want to stay put and be glad of the jobs that they have. On top of that, we talk a bit about what the future holds, how long we might be in this situation, how you do induction and onboarding for individuals when you've never actually met them in person and you're simply sending them their laptop by post. And actually, that's working pretty well where uh, that onboarding is taking place virtually. So some really interesting insights from Jen about all of that. And of course, we chatted a bit about COVID-19 living and what it's like to be in lockdown in wonderful County Cavan. So for insights and all of that, keep listening to this episode of the Equest podcast with Jennifer Cowell of Savvy Recruitment Consultants. Hey, Jen. Hey, how's it going, guys? Now, I'm not going to say too much about what the topic for this podcast is, because broadly it's about recruitment and staff and how firms and individuals are coping. But I suspect that our conversation will wander a lot broader than that. So thanks very much for joining us, Jan. It's great to have you. How are things in beautiful County Cavan? Cavan is, it's particularly grey now this morning, I have to say, but it has been lovely. Weather has been lovely. No, it's all good. It's good. I'm kind of, it's definitely a time where I'm glad I live in the countryside because, you know, two kids, great freedom, you know, at least you have a back garden and they can get out and obviously enjoy the weather and stuff like that. And that's nice walks and everything. So yeah, so I'm actually very grateful for that. But Jen, minute. listen, there's living in the countryside and then <laughs> Excuse me, what? Living in County Cavan. <laughs> Calvin has lots to offer people. We're a border county, so <laughs> we were in the news there recently about our number of cases and stuff like that. But no, we're all good. No, Calvin is a great county now. Overlooked my, in many cases now. You sure you're a Meath man? What are you talking about? Uh, easy. My mother is from Baileyborough in County Cavan, so I've had many visits to County Cavan. And that's uh, the no, reason well, I liked you, Danny. There was something there about you. Uh, that's your Calvin blood. Shannon, this is your opportunity <laughs> to tell your Calvin man joke. Oh, oh, okay. Wait a minute. Let me get it right. How do you know you've met someone from Cavan? Go on. Because <laughs> when their money drops to the ground, it ends up hitting them on the back of the head. That's a terrible joke. That yeah, joke but... is a good joke. But the funniest thing about it is what a Horlicks Shannon makes of trying to tell it. You're nearly as bad as me, Shannon. Actually, you're potentially worse than me at telling jokes. The joke and is... I'm horrendous. The joke is, did you hear about the Cavan man who dropped 50 cent? He bent down to pick it up and hit him in the back of the head. Okay, well, potato, potato there, Daddy. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Brilliant. But obviously, we're living in our worlds of isolation uh, as we go through this COVID-19 crisis. 
and we're all small business owners so it's been it's been a challenge let's face it it's not been what we would have expected i know for quest we're kind of year 3 i think and you guys are something similar but have you found it from just from a business perspective it's been tricky isn't it it is. Look at it. We're three years of business now this July and there is definitely nowhere on a map where you would wish this kind of situation on your business. In recruitment particularly, you look at everybody's affected, you know, to varying degrees. Recruitment, obviously, not a surprise, definitely fallen off a cliff. For the first couple of weeks of the crisis, there was probably still a bit more optimism around potential return dates to offices and things like that. You know, to a large extent, things were progressing as normal, particularly in financial services where we would focus. They're not as affected as, as lots of other industries. So we were continuing as normal, obviously just adapting things virtually. Since that, pretty much the majority of our clients have put recruitment on hold. Not that it's necessarily very negative for them from a financial perspective in terms of the impacts. It's things practically like how onboarding people virtually, you know, putting an offer to somebody when you don't actually know when you're going to be physically back in an office. And I know one of my clients has said to me, look, it's just the practicalities of asking somebody who's currently working at home, probably has kids around them to kind of onboard somebody else virtually. And they just felt that's actually unfair. You know, there's a lot that we're asking of people at the moment. And to put a new starter on somebody is actually a lot of additional extra work. And, and it's much harder to do that virtually. So that's kind of been a massive factor as well for clients. But look, at as a business for savvy recruitment, Look, at, I'm a glass half full kind of person. So yeah, look, at <laughs> on lots of levels, it's not great when your revenue stream is just kind of cut off very quickly. And there's a big enough lead time in recruitment to get your cash flow in after you place somebody as well. So that's a concern. But we're using it to look at how we do things, what we do, what services we offer, what we could potentially offer, and really just getting ourselves geared up for post-crisis, you know, using this period to flex our muscles to have a look, to critically evaluate what we're doing and how we're doing it and what else we could do and retrain and upskill and do all those kind of things. So I'm glad I'm focusing on that because again, it's given me focus. It's given me something to continue to work towards, which is good. Just for me personally, it's yeah. good. I definitely need that. Yeah, I know on, on our side, no more than yourself, you know, Jen, it's when this initially hit, it's, it's quite a shock and mm. it's difficult just to understand your place in the world when when everybody's gone to ground in terms of, you know, potential clients and you're looking to see, well, what do we do now that supports our clients at this time that they really need? And it did just take a little bit of time to kind of, to figure that out. But I guess the the benefits of being a small business, so I guess if, if you're a big business at a time like that, you've got a bigger brand and you've got more support and stuff like that around you that you don't have as a small firm. But as a small firm, you've agility, you've lower overheads, so it's easier to kind of cut your cloth. But I found these last, this part of the crisis, this part of the lockdown to be, you know, to be a really creative time. So we've looked at, for example, we have digital products. So we have a Funds Masterclass, F&P Masterclass that are available through funds, through questacademy.com. And we have bundled them, we've run discounts, given contribution to Basis Point to help with the terrific work that they do. We look now, our, obviously our training is delivered virtually. Our advisory is much, obviously we're not going to be physically face-to-face, but you know, you get used to Zoom and you get used to uh, conference calls and delivering that way. And now, you, you know, you were mentioned about, you know, don't waste a crisis looking at how you do things and how you can do them better. One of the things we're also doing now, and it's kind of only come as a result of the crisis, is a COVID-19 health check where we, we work 
with the firm just to kind of take a temperature check on what they've done in terms of governance, for example, in terms of compliance, cyber. And then, and also part of that is, well, how have you changed your operations and, and what have you done that's worked well? So let's just start thinking about taking them as those improvements to be something you want to embed long-term in your business and make the most of it, you know? So, yeah. so I think being a small firm, you do have that agility. And once you get over that initial shock, you can be creative and pivot. Yeah, and, oh, totally uh, agree. It have, is it is an advantage because I would hate, you know, and you know, if you're sitting with very, very large overheads and a large number of people working for you, you know, even just the responsibility of that as a business owner is would be very hard. I know I would find that, you know, if you were having to, to lay people off and do those sort of things, it's, I'm very glad that I'm not in that position. So no, it's, hmm. look, at, as you say, you don't waste your crisis. And that's very much where our mentality is. And, and I think, you know, again, I'm very positive that Savvy Recruitment will come out of this actually stronger and better than it was going into it um, because we've had this time. And there is a need, you know, it's the innovation. You have the headspace now to let these things kind of come in and let the innovation and the thoughts around pivoting come in because before, sometimes you're too busy, you know what I mean? And that's not necessarily a good thing either. You know, you're just busy doing the doing rather than actually thinking, where are we going? Where should we be going? So I'm actually grateful for that and very positive rightly or wrongly, but that's kind of the headspace I'm in at the moment because we're looking at lots of new things within the business that we're going to offer after this crisis. And I'm really excited about it actually at this stage. So it's all, it's all good. It's all good in that regard. Shannon, you are a super creative person. So you must be kind of beside yourself with ideas and creativity flowing. I think the push outside of our comfort zone I mean, everybody listening and everybody here in this conversation right now would be very familiar with the expression that everything you want is just outside your comfort zone. We all know it. We've heard it. We've probably even said it. Well, we've just been given it. I've never heard of a shadow. (laughs) (laughs) The lawyer has never heard of it. Danny, have you never heard of it? I've, I've honestly never heard of it. Everything you want is three feet outside your comfort zone. He's been conditioned not to do that. <laughs> I think the training is a, a lawyer. A regulator and a lawyer. What did you totally. tell me that two years ago? <laughs> Maybe that's why you're hanging out with me now. No, everything you want is three feet outside your comfort zone. And this the central banker going, no, no, it's not people. <laughs> Okay, Danny, maybe maybe yours could start with one foot outside your comfort zone. <laughs> uh, yeah. But let's be honest. If you're hanging out with me, you're probably five feet outside your comfort zone. <laughs> it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery yeah. slope. <laughs> but this first few weeks of quote-unquote shock was us adjusting to the new space that exists very much outside of our comfort zone. And this reset, if you will, has been a, an enormous opportunity for businesses, business owners, and people to get more clear on what they want to focus on in their business, more clear on the value that they bring to the market. Like we've pruned a whole bunch of rubbish that we were too busy to stop and really assess. And then mother nature, for lack of a better reference, went, right, you lot, here's the virus, off you go, (laughs) figure it out. So I am thoroughly enjoying this space. I'm deeply comfortable being uncomfortable because let's be honest, this is where growth takes place. Growth happens outside your comfort zone and we've all been invited to grow up, so to speak. And do either of you guys think we're going to be back to normal, old normal, whatever we call it, by the, let's say, end of the year? 
No, no, I think it's going to be into early next year, I think, before there's any semblance of normal as we would have known it. But like even just going back to work, financial services, obviously, you know, you and I, Danny, that's probably the sector we're, we're most focused in, and have come from. We can mostly work from home, you know what I mean? And I think they will be the last offices to kind of go back. You know, I would like for the sake of other sectors, if there was some ability for them to reopen before the end of the year with social distancing. But ultimately, until we get a vaccine, I can't see any large scale offices being reopened. It's just if, for any that do go back, it's going to be very limited capacity for a long time. I don't think there is no back. I think if we look at a crisis that took place that was almost on par with this, very different, but similar, it's 9-11. 9-11 changed the course, the trajectory for all of us. And we've never gone back to living pre-9-11. I also think that the longer that we experience this type of behavior, we're all learning and adapting this new behavior. And a lot of us are really enjoying it. And I think there's a lot of businesses out there that are looking at their monthly overhead. There's a firm in town here in Dublin that's 11 million a month, lights on, doors open. Are they going to reassess that and go, actually, we don't really need to have everybody on site? Yeah, What happens oh, definitely. to the, the office buildings in town? What happens to you know, real estate when people say, actually, I don't need to commute into Dublin city centre. I could go get a cottage you know, on the coast Three hours up in Cavan. Away. You might have a lot of new neighbours up there, Jen. See, it's popular already now, Danny. I'm already you're, you're late to this. You're late to it. <laughs> I don't need to be to meet up with clients. I can move to Cavan now, Jennifer. But you look at I did it. I said trailblazed. I moved back here in 2016. <laughs> oh no, but like genuinely, like one of the big reasons why I did become self-employed was I left my job in 2016 while pregnant which is on paper and in many people's mind a crazy thing to do and um, because you know I needed to have the flexibility and I didn't want the need for flexibility to compromise where I could go in my career and very much in what was the old normal and the traditional setup of companies you couldn't be a manager of people you couldn't get to a senior position unless you were physically there to physically oversee teams on a day-to-day -day basis. That was the perception. That was the, the kind of taken as, look, this is the perceived wisdom. This this is just how it is. And I, I just never really accepted that. Um, and, and hence, Savvy was kind of born. But And I've done that. I've done two days in Dublin, three days remotely from Cavan. The reality is that anybody I work with, they haven't seen any dip in the quality of what I can do. Um, and I've had the best of both worlds. I get to bring my kids up in the country, which is what my husband and I wanted to do. And yet I still get to engage in what I loved doing in the market, which is Dublin. But it just doesn't mean I need to live in Dublin to do that or to engage with it. And, you know, Yes, do I, like my husband goes, used to go four days a week to Dublin. Does he need to do that anymore? Um, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of people were commuting into Dublin and severe pressure on people with families, you know, having to be forced out of the city to afford to buy and then getting on trains or driving very early in the morning and really sacrificing any kind of quality family time to do that. And I think there was already frustration with that. There was already a want by candidates in the market for more flexibility and more pragmatism around this like why do we all need to be going into the city all together all at the same time every single day there is no need there is absolutely no need and this crisis has just disproved any theory 
that there is any job that cannot be done from home within financial services, yeah. obviously, manufacturing. Well, I think is it was different. inherited, wasn't it? Inherited wisdom that you must be yeah. on site and you must put in, you know, long hours and be seen to be there. Yeah. And, and because the tech has been there for a while. It has, but there's just been resistance to embrace it okay. because again, yeah. most people who are leading businesses or managing business came through the old style. You know, so it's all that they know is is this sort of presenteeism and you know, having to see something to believe in it. And obviously everybody's having to adapt the way that they manage. You know, you're going to, you know, everybody's having to accept that I can't see you. So I can't see the inputs. I'm having to trust the output. Um, and there's some interesting things I was reading earlier around trust and, you know, how it's such, such a key thing with leadership and how it gets so much more fulfilled. You know, how people engage that work for you so much more when they feel like they're trusted by you. And we have no choice at the moment. So it's, it's really challenging, I think, this situation, how we manage people, how we perceive management and what we think good management actually is because it's forcing us to adapt old styles and I, I genuinely think that's only positive um, and I hope it does have a lasting impact in how we think you have to work and the pattern and the rhythm of what that has to look like. Well that's a nice segue into uh, chatting about uh, recruitment then and the, uh, you know how how recruitment is is working at this time. Um, how are things from a firm's perspective? You mentioned kind of a re- uh, hesitancy on behalf of firms to recruit because of the idea of how would they induct, do an induction and onboarding for somebody in, in this kind of work environment, which is fair enough. Is there, but beyond that, are firms kind of in the space where if they had plans to recruit, they've ditched them or they pause them, they're going to go back to them, they're going back to them? Um, so anything that exists now on the market in terms of roles, so we've had roles that have come out since the crisis, but they're all business critical roles. They're all roles, whether it's through regulatory approval or whatever else that needs to be filled. You know, there isn't an ability to wait until we're physically back in an office or, the, or when we know we're going to be back in an office to do that. So they tend to be internal. You know, IT is still going pretty well. I think it has quietened, quietened down a little bit in the last couple of weeks on the IT side, but initially there was... There was Actually, I know some people working in specifically IT recruitment. They had one of their busiest months ever last last month on IT recruitment. We don't we don't do IT, but people I know in that space have been really busy. Um, but a lot of what we do, compliance, risk, finance, internal audit, core key functions. There has still been a bit of movement there. By and large, any companies that were recruiting on the basis of anticipated revenue growth or business growth in 2020 have put that recruitment on hold. Um, It is very much the focus and understandably around maintain what you have, look after what you have and wait and see. Because the reality is, I think a lot of firms have been, you know, probably running the numbers and kind of, you know, sort of seeing where the forbearance is, what the level of forbearance is in terms of dips in revenue in 2020, as opposed to what most companies would have anticipated growth and obviously economically we would have predicted growth this year and that's not going to happen. So it is about batting down the hatches, protect what you have. Recruitment is literally whatever is business critical. Um, and I can't see that changing for the rest of 2020. And where they, there is business critical recruitment um, and we're going to be working from home for the next number of months, what's, how are firms approaching then the challenge of onboarding and induction? Yeah, so like obviously there was a lot of clients that had signed contracts and people were serving out notice and due to start like immediately after the start of this crisis and during it. So we've had that experience with a number of clients. 
Um, it's not ideal, but they've been literally delivering a laptop to their front door, say the Friday before the Monday that they're due to start. If there's any other technology or setup or hardware that they need, you know, clients have been really, really good actually. And, and to be fair to the internal HR departments, it was tough going for the first few weeks, just trying to figure all that out. Um, so yes, yeah, so they'll physically deliver the hardware that they need. They're doing really detailed induction plans. So they're being extra cautious of the fact that, look, we need to make this person feel like they're very much part of the team, even though they can't meet with us or we can't physically be there with them. So the inductions have become a lot, I would say, better. You know, people are really thinking about inductions in the first week and making sure that people are on calls and they're getting introduced to people and that there's nearly a sense of over-communication. You know, make sure that people are keeping in touch with the new starters and making them feel very much part of the team. Um, and we've had a number of people in that situation and they've been hugely complimentary about the clients and just the quality of the induction and the effort that everybody has made to make them feel part of the team because everybody accepts that it's not ideal and it is very much making the best out of it. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it, it is really up the ante on the quality of the induction, um, and but it has taken a huge amount of effort. But be, look, at people have done it from an interview perspective. Um, you know, interviews are now over video conferencing. You know, it's all virtual. Everybody's getting used to Zoom and every other uh, technology that's out there. Um, some clients, obviously, ideally, you'd meet people in person, but that's not going to be possible. Um, so they are, they're, they're running entire interview process uh, virtually, so via video conference. Um, the, the question there is, either from the client or the candidate perspective, in terms of whether you would make a decision solely on a virtual engagement you know, in terms of being able to properly feel like you got a sense for somebody or you got a sense for the culture of the place or, you know, how you'd work there. I think that's the question mark. And we have processes ongoing at the moment, but that's just in my head. I'm kind of thinking, okay, when you get to that point where somebody's going, I, we want to offer that individual the job, uh, how comfortable would the individual feel in that? What about the candidates? What is, you know, where's their headset at? Are they uh, I'm curious about the candidates who are working inside of a firm that were potentially involved in a um, a job interview, and yeah. has, what, how has this changed them? And then candidates who are now uh, unemployed and looking for a role, do, has their mindset shifted? Are they more keen to get a job, or they want to take their time and find the right one? So it has definitely changed. So I started in recruitment in 2011, so kind of in the in the depths of the of the last crisis. And I saw then there were roles, but the biggest challenge was the attitude of candidates in the market and a real nervousness around better the devil you know, and I have a guaranteed wage and a salary, and there's a probationary period with this new job, and sure, last in, first out kind of thing. I'm seeing a little bit of that, definitely nowhere near the last crisis, but I would say it's kind of 50-50, Shannon, to be honest, in terms of people who I've rang during, since this crisis started, about new roles that I have. They've come out since the crisis, so there is no issue on the client side about not being solvent or not being confident about business performance and the ability to hire this role. Again, a lot of what I do is in risk and compliance, so they tend to be more risk averse anyway. So this is not a good time, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> they, they tend to be a little bit more reluctant. It really, really varies. I think the big factors that impact somebody's appetite to want to move, so say they were actively looking to move before the crisis, in, in about 50% of cases, that has changed and they're kind of going, do you know what? There's a lot of uncertainty right now and I don't think uncertainty is is the is is a good time for me to look to move jobs because my CEO in a lot of firms have come out and they've guaranteed that there'll be no layoffs, there'll be no pay pay cuts for 2020. So 
at least I feel comfortable now and guaranteed a wage for 2020. And that I, I've heard that quite a bit actually in the last few weeks, particularly more in the last couple of weeks rather than at the beginning of the crisis. Um, are you, there hearing, are, uh, are yeah, you hearing any, uh, any mumblings or any um, conversations going on about firms who are making choices right now in the light of COVID-19 that they may come to regret um, next year when this settles down and people have a chance to reflect on how businesses have handled themselves inside of a crisis. I ask yeah. because I definitely yeah. heard uh, my peers in the industry who have been treated uh, quote unquote by firms that are now vultures um, and just thinking, you know, the industry is going to not have a short term memory on this. We yeah. are going to remember next year how firms have behaved. Are you hearing anything like that or seeing anything? Yeah, no, genuinely we have. And to be honest, so one example is, and it hasn't just been with, it's been a couple of places that we've been aware of that they haven't honoured contracts. So for example, somebody was due to start during this crisis. They were serving out notice. They'd handed in their notice in their current employer. They're currently serving out their notice and they just got called out of the blue to say, look, we won't be starting you on, say, the 1st of May like we were meant to and you know I know it's tough and I know you'd handed in your notice but it is what it is and unusual times blah 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 I'm sure you understand and you know we'll come back to you at some future date. That obviously left a lot of people between a rock and a hard place because now you're in a position where you've handed in your notice somewhere you know you so you've you've given notice you've a month left say with that person so you've a month left of a guaranteed income and you're meant to be starting in this other place and they've just pulled the rug out from under you and look at I get that there's financial realities to this I just think in in the cases where we've been aware of it the way it was handled in a kind of dismissive sort of oh well you know it's the crisis so these things are fine now without any sort of any sort of emotional intelligence around what you're actually saying to somebody here you know what I mean you're actually saying to them you no longer have any job security you know, um, we are taking that away from you. And we're not even doing it on a phase basis. We're not even going, look at, can we work with you? It's just, this was the decision that was taken. Um, and it shocks. It, it was more nearly the tone, the delivery, the way it was said. There, was, there seemed to be very little awareness of what yeah, this actually is. meant for yeah. the person on the other line. You know what I mean? And I, I, that to me was really shocking actually because I just thought this was maybe a week into the crisis so to be honest at that point I just thought wow you know how much have you tried you know how would it have been possible to onboard this person bring them in or even bring them in at a reduced pay for x number of months give them some sort of comfort give them some sort of security in a time when none of us you know it's such uncertainty and well, you don't know the circumstance of this person you know there is a a colleague colleague peer uh, works in the industry uh, over in pharmaceutical, um, and they were invited to take a 40% deduction in their salary. Um, and it was presented as a choice, but there was a lot of pressure to take it, um, only to find out a few weeks later that they would now be made redundant on the lower salary. Oh, God. Can so, they do that? Um, I don't know the ins and outs of the legalities of it, but even if they can't do it and it goes back and gets rectified, it just, you know, people are going to remember next year yeah. how these yeah. guys, how these businesses played their hand of cards. Yeah. So, oh, totally. It'll it last. Is, how you show up in a crisis is the only thing that matters. You know, marketing, marketing campaigns or anything else that you've invested in, 
you know this is no point yeah there's no point you can save your money on the marketing campaigns and actually just do Do, the right thing now you know and and sometimes that's not it's not necessarily the complex or difficult things it's actually even the delivery putting an arm around somebody and go and look at what we're what we're doing here you know it's it's there are difficult things going on around us in lots of different sectors and it's not that we should all be totally immune and pretend like nothing is happening but there is there is an art in terms of how you do that you know what I mean and just having been a little bit more humane about that because I think in those firms the ones that we're aware of where where this has happened there was an arrogance to go look we'll be back to you you know when we know we're going to be back in the office and then we'll start you at that point and I just thought are they for real did they actually think that this person and these individuals are actually ever going to go and work for this company like that yeah. was nearly the sh- the mm. biggest shock to me that, that that was the tone was chipper and it was like yeah so look we'll be back to you and we know we're going to be back in the office and you're thinking are you out of your mind like there yeah. isn't, and they're going to tell everybody they know what you have done everybody well and that's the point jen because it yeah. is a it, it's a small world it's oh, a small and, town and oh, um is minute you know it what I mean? is but yeah. even 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 you know across the country how firms have reacted to the crisis and particularly how they have treated their people mm. uh will be remembered be remembered yeah. it will be yeah. remembered and at you know if it's today you know there's not an awful lot of choice probably there's not much you can do about it but some firms will have you know i'm sure all firms have got very glossy brochures about what their values are and you know what's important to them and how they treat people and this kind of stuff the crisis will tell you what their real values are and what the how they like really they, treat um, people and i, I think if you mistreat uh, people everybody's going to know because it is a small world and yeah. if you've if they've said uh, your health and the health of yourself and your family is the most important thing so we're going to quickly move to work from home we're going to facilitate you be flexible because you got kids at home or whatever it is we're going to even if we have to implement pay cuts, we're do you know we'd be transparent and say this is, you know, but at least you, you've got to you we're going to continue with the job and try and get back up to the regular level as soon as we can. Yeah. But if, the, if it is the opposite, we we don't trust you to work from home, so we want you to come into the office until the until you know there is no option or 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 like you described there where you've committed to take somebody on and you just let them go as if it's no big mm. deal. When yeah. this settles down, people will not want to be in those firms. No, they will. They won't. Because again, it's just, it, it, you might as well take out a placard and say that this is what we're about, you know, because that's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters at any point. Well, but right now, also, it's the only thing. I, I, I totally agree how it looks on face value. And I think there's uh, merit in saying that that is the reputation that the market's going to take away as they consider that particular firm. And then the flip side to that is that was probably a HR manager or an individual job title who is just oblivious to the impact of their actions and their words, who have probably meant well, but have never been in this situation before, didn't necessarily have the wherewithal to consider the other person's situation and the impact. And so therefore has obliviously gone about their day causing all this upset and upheaval, and they don't even know that that happened. So, you know, that one person in the firm who hasn't been invited to buy into the culture and the values, which of course happens because we get busy and we deprioritize those things, has caused, in your case, like I can see that our situations are slightly different, Jennifer, the the stories that we're hearing, but 
you know, we're taking your 40% off your salary and, and now we're going to make you redundant on that lesser salary. Yeah. Or it's, it's people, can't. it's people. Do, and it's, it's kind of like Danny, you, you've always said this in terms of how you work about whether the difference between can you do something versus should you do something. And in the case of not honoring contracts, it was like, Oh no, there is a loophole in the contract, but it's like, okay. So in that instance, legally you're saying you can do this but really should you do it you know what I mean and I think for me now is one of those times COVID-19 and this crisis is one of those times where there is lots of opportunity for individuals and firms to do things that they can do whether it's legally or whatever but should you do it you know what I mean? Should you do it is the question. And if you are going to do it, what are the impacts going to be? And are you really, really considering those? And people will see people who are just taking advantage of a crisis, you know, versus those that are genuinely, and there are companies out there that are genuinely financially negatively, very negatively impacted by this crisis. And I don't want to be blasé about that. Um, but again, it's the delivery. It's the transparency. It's, you know what I mean? It's it's been seen to try to work with people and say, look, we're doing the best that we can here. You know, so again, and, and maybe there should be more government support because obviously the wage subsidy doesn't, doesn't oh, cover people that haven't been in businesses. <laughs> you know, so again, the government have let those people down because they're probably just a cohort of people that weren't considered, you know, that are serving out their notice, were due yeah. to start somewhere else and that new employer has not honoured that contract and, and they're not entitled, you know, so there should maybe have been an incentive for firms that needed it to encourage them to be able to continue to bring on those new people. So it's, it's, it left a really bad taste. Yeah. In our well, let, life, I have to say. Let, let's wrap this bit up by saying, uh, you know, what is the cost of a firm taking that approach? Well, they, they might save a few quid today, but let's think, and, and even, Shannon, you said it might be an individual in a HR department or in, in a department that's kind of removed and has just flippantly said this and not had a thought about the impact. But think about the impact on the reputation and brand of that firm as a result of that action even if it's by one individual and it's isolated, it's incredibly damaging. And the cost for that firm into the future is recruitment agents, those who are, you know, if I ask your opinion, should I go to this firm? You'd say, well, I, during the crisis, this is what they did. And the only way I'm going to go to that firm is if I have no option or they get the checkbook out and they pay me way more than yeah. what another firm would pay me. Yeah. And so this comes back and, you know, if you want to talk about the bottom line, it does come back to the bottom line because you're going mm. to pay more in the future to recruit people yeah. because of how you've tried to, I've treated yeah. them now. Totally, Even and if, I think there is a short-termist view there. And yeah. if it's if if it's not, if you know, if the cash flow is there right now to be able to bring these people on and try and negotiate even short-term pay, you know what I mean, some yeah. sort of. But you're actually giving them their job. You know what I mean. You're honouring that. You're giving them the security of knowing that they have a job and you have them. And I do think that's an obligation on employers. You know, if you're going into any market and you're recruiting and you're putting yourself out there, nobody could have anticipated this. But look at the response, look at the community response of individuals across this country, look at what people are doing that they would never have envisaged they could have done or would have done. And I think that's where it just reflects even worse because you're thinking, yeah. do you know what, there are people out there on a very small and sometimes a very big scale in every community around this country that are doing things today in this crisis that they are stretching themselves to do because it's in the greater good. And look, I don't want to get it that this sounds really fluffy and not realistic, but ultimately I don't see 
in those instances that the companies have really ever tried to go over and above because that's a, it's a time to go over and above. Okay. It's not a time to distill down and go, what is the absolute minimum that we can get away with doing? Like nobody else in our country right now on an individual basis is thinking like that. Absolutely. And, and I said, it's not that, it's not that firms haven't been financially hit by it. Of course they have. And yeah. you know, you, you recognize that, but I think that you're right. There needs to be a, a sensitivity around it and, and, and an honesty and a transparency. Transparency, But, right. but not just chucking somebody out. Yeah. With but the, can I just the, say there, like a, that, that has been the minority, I have yeah. to say. Like the, the, the rest of, you know, in terms of clients that we're working with and everything have been superb, you know, have been really, really excellent. And in terms of understanding that challenge with kids at home and everything else have been really, really good at that. Um, and, and it's great. And, and I suppose for us, we, it's always been a really important factor for us in terms of who we work with um, that they just, you know, that they're just honourable people you know they're honorable companies and they do the right thing and they treat their people right and that's why they are successful you know because that's what they've been doing for a long time now and it will continue to stand to those companies um and it's even more important now and they'll earn even more in the long term because that's always just who they were um but now it's just showing up for them you know what i mean and it's it's showing them up in a much better light if you um start looking six months out as a I'm sure you are. I, I saw your article um, that you did with DMS on how they're recruiting. Yes. That was yes. a few weeks ago, Jennifer. But yeah. I thought, one, fair play to them for turning it around on a dime. And two, what a really good process to have in place um, at a moment's notice. Um, so that's happened. No doubt that's happened with quite a few of your firms. But as you look out six months from now, even 12 months from now, what are the trends that you're seeing as a direct result of COVID-19 in recruitment? In terms of recruitment, so I, I, big t- I think without doubt, the flexibility and the remote working are going to be very much part of the king. normal. You know, it's, it's think, just can inevitable. You say that that's going to be king? Yeah. Like, is was, there anything else above? I mean, maybe we should call it queen and put the queen above the king. But is there anything else that's going to be more important to an individual or maybe pay. So maybe it's tied for first place. But seriously, Jennifer, flexibility um, in the role has always been something that people found important and nice to have. But because of this scenario, do you think that that's now going to change it to the top two position to rally um, next to salary and compensation? Oh, yeah. Like I would have always said clients in the last couple of years that, you know, extra flexibility on working hours and working from home arrangement was probably worth about 10 grand in a salary as in somebody would be prepared to maybe drop 10 grand in a salary to move from a job that had no flexibility to one that did um so i always said look at this is a cost saving this don't look at this in a kind of a oh nice to have wouldn't that be you know this is actually commercially a good decision for you to make as an organization would you say that numbers change now as a result of COVID-19 where the whole world now knows that we can be flexible has that 10k gone to 20k Potentially, like I think, I think what it's done is there are probably a lot of people that thought that genuinely their role, they hadn't asked for flexibility because they genuinely thought, look, there's no possibility. I run a team, for example, I need to be in the office to see them. You know, I have a little bit of flexibility, but that's probably as much as I could actually, you know, if, you know, there's a lot of people who would have not asked for things that they thought just were impractical or would have caused a bit of hassle or, you know, but now I think if you're in that situation and you've had to do all those things remotely, I think it creates more awareness in people who weren't maybe aware to the degree to which they could work fully remotely I don't think it's going to take away the need for people to want that engagement to be in office places you know to work 
collaboratively with people like we're, we're social beings like the majority of us want to have that kind of engagement but do we need to have that on a five-day week basis no so I think I don't necessarily know if it's the number in terms of salary I think it's just it's going to create massive awareness among everybody about the, the extent and the fact that you can do your job remotely so when you come back into the new normal you're going to be asking for things and now not thinking of them as a big ask because it's proven that you can do it and it can be done and when it's about will like this whole crisis is there was a will because it had to be done so where there's a will there's a way and that stands true true very much in this case and when people go back into offices they're going to be like well it can be done so and it worked very well and I was well able to manage my team remotely because I had to and we enabled me and everybody else with the technology to make sure that that happened and look at our productivity was up our productivity was exactly the same so it's, it's, it's just going to create that awareness. And I think because of that, more and more people, and we see the benefits in terms of just life and balance and lack yeah. of commuting and all those things that drain the quality of your life. I was talking uh, to a CEO in the food retail industry about a week ago. Um, and a CEO, let's say 300 staff. Um, the number one thing that he's taken away from this experience is that he's now been able to start running in the morning and he's dropped... Yeah. Four stone. <laughs> oh my God. First of all, men have it far easier weight loss than women. And second of all, fair play to him. But I think the CEOs are also going to experience this change personally, uh, see how it affects their relationship with their children, um, makes them more productive without the two or three hour a day commute. Um, and that's going to trickle down. So those are the things yeah. that are going on. And actually, that- just to add, I think that people. In, in a lot of instances, didn't ask for flexibility because they perceived that asking for it was sort of saying, like, I'm not fully bought in. You know what I mean? That it was somehow only maybe people with young kids, maybe predominantly women who asked for it. You know, I need a three-day week, a four-day week. Oh, I need three days or two days working from home. It was nearly, not that anybody would necessarily maybe say that out, but asking for flexibility, needing remote working arrangements was nearly gone. Oh, okay. We're, this is not somebody who's driving on in this organization or wants to get to like a leadership position or whatever. You know, it was nearly like an eye roll. You know what I mean? So I think for me, that I think would be brilliant. You know, if people asking for flexibility and particularly men, let's call it as it is, men in leadership roles going um, back into their organizations after all of this and going, do you know what? Yeah, do you want to spend more time with my kids? Don't want to be spending so much time sitting on the M50 or commuting. Um, I was a better leader. I had more headspace. It made me a better person and a better person at my job. And yeah, I want to, I want to work two days a week. Depends, Jen, on whether they want to spend more time with you. See, see. <laughs> now, Danny, yeah. What are the, sorry, I, I'm aware of time now. So um, the trends that you're uh, seeing over the next six to 12 months, definitely flexibility. Definitely flexibility. There's going to be a lot more agile sort of interim solutions. So again, this wasn't something in terms of a Dublin market that we had a very active base. In IT skills, yes. But in terms of want somebody on a day rate for six months, you know, particularly around um, maybe change management, maybe you just need somebody in from a compliance and risk perspective to help out or finance. So we're, we're already hearing that from clients that they already predict. It, it gives, it, a crisis shows you the need for flexibility, you know, and in, particularly in terms of costs and fixed costs. So we do think that's definitely going to be one thing that is going to increase the need and therefore, because there's already an appetite 
appetite for the supply side. There's already an appetite there for lots of seasoned professionals to actually, I only want to work three days a week. You know what I mean? I've been there, done that. I still have maybe 10 years to go until I retire. Um, and I just, I'm, I, I can support a CFO three days a week or, I, you know, instead of getting in maybe the consulting firms that there's going to be this market now of expertise that exists and that you can tap into as an organization on, on a short-term basis. And I think that's, that, that could be a great thing um, in terms of just so, enriching that insight into organizations. Flexibility, agility, creative problem solving. Yeah. And tech savvy. So everybody now, whether we were always tech savvy or otherwise, um, you know, clients, a lot of clients have said to us, God, it really shows, you know, that the, the importance of people being able to just simple, what some people may think is simple in terms of Zoom and video conferencing and, you know, organizing webinars online and, you know, doing all that sort of stuff, but also the ability to remote manage well. And that is something that everybody is struggling with and having to adapt with. And some people's personalities maybe or management style naturally lends well to that. But I think that's a big thing as well. Clients have mentioned that to us that, you know, in terms of a, a experience or an aptitude they will be looking for that ability because they see they see what's coming they see that the need for flexibility and remote working will increase it commercially as you said Shannon will save a lot of fixed costs in terms of office space and other things so again commercially that would make sense that we buy into that but in order for that to continue to work well or to work well in the first place we're going to need good managers who can manage remotely mm-hmm. and that can do that in yes. a very very effective way um of two questions. Uh, one is for you, Denny. Um, are you loving the work at home experience? Or are you counting the, the months till we get back into the office? I worked from home a fair amount anyway, but the difference now obviously is the kids are at home. So I am happy to work from home if I can send the kids out to school, <laughs> to do their bit. Um, no, what I like about it is I, I really like how everybody has just embraced the technology that already existed. And now with a metaphorical gun to your head, you've no choice but to deliver your training virtually or deliver your lunch and learn virtually. Um, I think about the amount of travel I used to do in previous job. And I think about the, um, you know, the impact on the environment genuinely about the carbon footprint of travels to Paris every, every other week, uh, you know, and, as a result of all of this, really, that that level of uh, travel isn't necessary. You can you can do more of that virtually. So um, we're going to see we're going to see more of that. Uh, I I agree. I don't think we're going back. And we we talked a lot about the flexibility that individuals want, but firms are going to look at this in the bottom line, and they're going to say, well, if I could have half the office space that I have at the moment, and maybe I don't need as much support staff, uh, I can I can focus more on rainmakers and. You know, there. I don't think that that the drive to more flexibility and remote working is going to be all by individuals. I think firms are going to push this as well because why wouldn't they? Make because sense? they've seen that it works, and I think yeah. there was a skepticism there, genuinely. I don't think you know that people were were trying to be difficult. You know what I mean? I, I think they genuinely thought, God, that's I can't see it that working. Work. But, but this is now the evidence of it, and and obviously you know it's the forced you know experiment in this. And and I think you're dead right, Danny. I think uh, they will see the commercial sense in this you know that it, it just it all adds up money talks and bullshit walks <laughs> uh, the, the other thing I, I feel i feel a podcast coming up on remote management well how to oh, do yeah. remote management well so let's put that into the, the go, creative i told you it's creative time we're gonna do a podcast tonight, Shanna. yeah and we're, we're working we're working a lot on that actually in savvy yeah. just in terms of trying to 
you know, because it is, it is a struggle. You know what I mean? And it's, His name is Mark Fritz and um, he's a, a Yankee that lives over in the UK and he specializes in remote working. So managing across distance and great guy, lots of experience, professor, teaches it at uni. Um, so maybe we'll, we'll invite him back and maybe Jennifer, you'll join us and it'll be a, a great discussion. Super. Yeah, we'd love that. On what's happening now in the recruitment and people space. Um, I don't have any other questions. Denny, you? No, I think it's time to wrap up. Nice. Perfect. Perfect. Jennifer, there. What an incredible conversation. Thank you for your time. Great. Not at all. Thank you, guys. So, Jen, how are you going to, how are you enjoying your, what are you doing with all this free time now that you're not spending driving up and down to Dublin? Are you uh, avidly getting through every Netflix no, box set? Are you through Tiger King? You haven't even started. Oh, I don't know if I, I don't know if Tiger King would be my, my thing now, but um, I don't really have that much extra time. I'm very envious of people who have. I think anybody with kids doesn't have any extra time. Um, so no, like I'm still working, working uh, the usual hours. Obviously, don't have to go to Dublin. So uh, there's two days a week where I get a little bit of extra sleep and don't have to get up at half five in the morning, which is which is super, but I'm using that to stay in bed <laughs> rather than get up and train for a marathon or anything. Um, um, no, so it's actually, I don't have... And I've talked to anybody else who has kids and they're kind of like, yeah, no, we're in the same boat. Um, my kids are totally out of routine. So they're probably not going to bed at about nine o'clock every night. And at that point, I am just making a point of principle that I'm not going to bed at half nine <laughs> and that I will stay up until half ten and have a cup of tea and watch the news. So I know I'm, my life is, is not... My, my husband and I came to the realisation that actually our lives pre-lockdown probably weren't that dissimilar to what they are in lockdown. Um, so we could... I don't know, maybe that's a sad realisation. I don't know. But What about uh, you, Shannon? You're not a great television watcher. I never get great chat out of you on TV. I don't... No, 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 I don't have a TV, but I would have, um, I don't even have a Netflix subscription. Oh, Shannon. <laughs> oh, my oh God. Afterlife, series two was released I've last heard, week. And I'll, I'd be oh, a big, series big one was amazing. Fan. Series I, one was absolutely amazing. Okay. Uh, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to get a yeah. Netflix subscription. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Do it. Well, Guys, uh, thank you so much. I, yes. Thank you very much, folks. Wrap it up there, Sean. I want to just uh, say our next podcast uh, will be with Andrew Tijali, who is a partner in Philip Lee Solicitors. Uh, also, a great guy who happens to know an awful lot about crypto, crypto exchanges, bit, uh, blockchain, and all of those things. Uh, so I'm looking forward to chatting to him about um, how Bitcoin is performing in these markets, whether it's the buzz that was around it still exists and, and what kind of place it might have in the world. So that podcast will drop next week, I guess. Uh, Jen, thanks so much for your time. Really yeah, loved having you on pleasure. the podcast. Great to have Thank you. you. Shannon, Danny, as always. Always, a pleasure. always a pleasure, man. Thank you. Okay. Finally, I want to wrap up with a couple of shout outs. The first is to Basis Point and to all of the contributors to Basis Point and everybody who's putting up LinkedIn posts and highlighting the work that those guys are doing. They're, you know, we, you talked a little bit there, Jen, about the community rallying around uh, in the financial service industry. Let's face it, we're fortunate that we're not uh, impacted by job losses in the way and furlough in the way that other sectors are. Other yeah. runs a firm that supplies bars and restaurants and coffee shops, and it's tough, you know. So uh, I think our bit to do as a community is to support somebody like Basis Point uh, and see if we can't uh, help out where we can. And check out basepoint.com, see how you can help. And finally, shout out to my loved one, 
who I think, uh, Shan, a couple of episodes ago, we mentioned I had uh, somebody who was going toe-to-toe with COVID-19. It was a tough, tough battle, but he's finally out of ICU. So shout oh. out to Uncle Donal. Oh, uh, sorry to hear that, Danny. God, I'm glad he's all right. That's all he, awful. He's just got to eat now, fatten himself up, put a bit of weight back on, get the strength back, buddy. Oh, he's God, love so shout out to Uncle Donal. Uh, he was planning Camino this summer, but that's on hold for various reasons. But what I want to do is play out with a song by uh, Rosie Lawler called Camino to inspire Uncle Donald on his Camino trek, hopefully next year, and everybody else who's had to put their plans on hold as a result of what we're going through at the moment. Just remember, it's not going to last forever. We'll get out the other side. So take care, stay safe. We'll catch you next time on the Equest podcast.
Aquas Podcast. For information about our training and advisory programs or our academy, visit aquas.ie. For more resources on RECs, funds, and governance, check out our YouTube channel, Daniel Lawler, R-U-R-Q.